In today's Q&A compilation, we'll be covering topics such as Is Kundalini contagious? Receiving messages in dreams? Whether Kriyas ever stop? And trauma release exercises, also known as TRE. Join us for the next meeting on Zoom. Visit brentspirit.com slash kundaliniqa for more info. At the moment, it's free to join. As well, I have big news. I've recently launched a new initiative, kundaliniawareness.org. We aim to bring more attention to this phenomena in a grounded, rational way. Kundaliniawareness.org has a directory of licensed professionals, such as psychologists, psychiatrists, and psychotherapists with direct personal experience with Kundalini that are available to offer support. If you happen to fit this criteria, please submit an application and join the free directory so others can find out about you and your services. As well, kundaliniawareness.org has a collection of user-submitted stories of Kundalini Awakening. Please do the community a favor and submit a write-up about your story for the collection. Thank you so much for your contribution. You can visit brandspirit.com to find out about meeting with me one-on-one if you'd like to go a little deeper. Enjoy the episode. In this segment, we'll be discussing whether Kundalini is contagious or not. But today I have two questions to ask you. The first one is that uh, does Kundalini energy can affect the people around me? Because one night I have spending in my mother's room and then in the morning, she just removed her iPhone from the from her uh, from her bed because she said that uh, last night there is like the signal that um you know disturb her brain and she can feel the tingling of her brain and she said it like that and it actually happening to us all every night right yeah. so I thought yeah. that so, probably uh, our energy can affect her and also sometimes she said that uh, some nights that I spend with her she will get, get like the heat. Uh, all night, like uh, from 3 a.m. to 5 a.m., something like this. And my second question is that actually I have never seen you wear the bracelet or like some, uh, I, I can call it like protection device, you know, from, um, you know, uh, maybe negative energy or maybe like some um, dark entities. So I would like to ask you, is it really important? Because I, I for me, myself, I have a metis that I use right now, but um I have heard from many people that actually we can control it. We can control everything around us. So don't uh, be scared of the dark energy or the negative uh, entity, something like this. So only two questions. Thank you so much. Great. Thank you. Great questions. So I'll address your second question uh, first. No, I don't use any uh, um, crystals or items for protection. I have the Kundalini. I have the light in me. Right. So everywhere I go, I'm safe. It's okay. And I know this. I've, uh, you know, established a high degree of trust within the light that's inside of me. And so I don't uh, seem to need to rely on uh, any items for protection. Um, I can also invoke my guides who are benevolent and they have my back. Um, Many people have different guides. For me, there are, you know, one is my, my late friend 
Ganesh, Kali, Christ, they're all with me. And so I don't need any items to protect me. I do see the validity in, uh, you know, crystals and beads and, and whatnot. It's, it's valid. If that makes you feel confident, then so be it. Ultimately, it comes down to the feeling of confidence. So sometimes a trinket gives us permission to feel confident. There are, of course, some uh, some valid, I guess you could say, scientific um, qualities to things like crystals and the vibrations they emit and whatnot. Of course, nothing wrong with that stuff. As long as you don't feel I'm I'm vulnerable and at risk unless I have these trinkets. No, no, you have the kundalini within you. You have the light within you. And uh, just by recognizing that, you'll be safe. So that's why I don't uh, necessarily use those things. I have some stuff on my altar and whatnot from earlier parts of my journey. And maybe later on, I may you know, wear some sort of crystal or something. But generally speaking, this is my approach. The next question you had, or the first question you had was, uh, you know, can our kundalini energy influence other people? It absolutely can. And so I'll speak to that specifically. But in general, our energy influences other people, whether we're kundalini awakened or not. If you're happy, you're depressed, you're anxious, people to varying degrees are sensitive, they'll pick up on it. They may not say anything. They may not know it's you. They may not know what it is, but we're all picking up on our energy. And this is proven by science. The heart is emitting a radio, uh, sorry, um, electromagnetic field from the heart. And it's emitting that. And it's also picking up on others, electromagnetic fields, which extend, I don't know how wide, but it's pretty wide. I would say at least a couple meters outside of our body, but I bet it's even further than that. Um, so Kundalini awakened or not, we're all influencing one another. Now let's speak about those with awakened Kundalini. Yes, of course, we're absolutely uh, radiating a very powerful presence in our aura, in our energetic field. And others who are sensitive may perceive it and comment on it or take conscious note of it. Others who are maybe not as sensitive uh, may be experiencing the effects, but may not consciously recognize that something interesting is happening. Others may have no comment or any conscious recognition or any unconscious recognition of it. So it's not like anybody who shares uh, a room with you at night is going to feel something. Most people probably won't. But some who maybe are um, you know, intimately connected with us or sensitive, they may pick up on something or the other. It also comes down to where they are at in their journey. If they're at a point where it's now time for them to become receptive to a little bit of you know, the Shakti that's being radiated, they may pick up on it. Does this mean that they're going to have a full Kundalini awakening? Probably not. Some people, it's very short-lived and that's okay. It's part of their journey. Uh, we have lifetimes and lifetimes and lifetimes to go through this process. And even a brief encounter with with somebody who's going through Kundalini Awakening and picking up on it a little bit is pretty significant. It's even for one lifetime, it's a pretty big deal. Um, so we can say that. Um, also, when we are ungrounded, which in other words means our nervous system has not yet been acclimated to holding that energy within our system, we can start to spill it over and others may begin to pick up on it. Um, so it's twofold. Very early on, I think maybe within the first couple months of this awakening, I remember being at a party and it was just, it was very early on in this party. So people hadn't started drinking, hadn't started smoking, nothing really was going on. But just a few friends sitting at the dinner table and I was feeling really high, like psychedelic spiritual high, you know? And um, my friend says, you know, I'm feeling kind of high, feeling kind of high. And I said, 
just very early on in my process, arrogantly, I said, oh, it, it's me. You know, I had this awakening and I'm I'm doing that to you. It's, it's spilling over. Of course, that also coincides with me being ungrounded, talking a bit too much about this, uh, you know, out of place. Um, but yes, because I was ungrounded, the energy was spilling over and everybody was picking up on it and feeling all sorts of weird ways. Now, because I'm grounded, I actually find that my energy is much more contained and I don't have so much spillover. But if somebody's sensitive, then they may pick up on a thing or two. And it's very common um, for somebody nearby to maybe even experience a spontaneous Kriya being near you. These things can happen. Um, if they start to ask a lot of questions or start to go through some sort of distress, you may consider sharing some resources with them about it. Just kind of handing it to them and then letting go. If they want to explore it, if they don't, that's up to them. But these are some things you can consider. But yes, uh, we are always communicating, radiating and transmitting our energy, our frequency. And and uh, so, yes, it's a very real thing. Um, some people do have some fear like, oh my gosh, I'm going to cause my loved one to go through what I went through. It's very difficult awakening process. I don't want to do that to them. Don't worry. Don't worry. Um, um, we all have our own journey, our own karma, and there's a divine orchestration unfolding here. And so if somebody needs to go through an awakening, they will, and and that will be their, their destiny. It will all work out in the long run. Okay. Right. Uh, it's like, you can read my mind because I was about to ask if it's dangerous for my mother, like to, if, is, uh, is she uh, going to go through the same thing that I that I did and also um one of my friends I just uh, changed my job right and I I just worked there for like two or three days and then somebody like my colleague just picked up the energy and then uh he just talked with me about Kundalini awakening awakening and uh active uh pineal gland activation something like this so I will share I will like give the necessary suggestions for him thank you so much Brent great great you're so welcome and just for the record here, this, this idea of transmission that we're talking about here is more in a passive way, but there is an active way, in case you're wondering, where it's called Shaktipat, where somebody who has developed this uh, astute ability can consciously and actively transmit this energy to another person. This is what Kenneth was speaking about earlier, was uh, an activation process. So he went to like an event and the facilitator actively transmitted it to a person. So that is typically much more of a powerful type of awakening than a more passive transmission. But uh, just for the record here, um, there is an active way as well. In this segment, we'll be discussing whether Kundalini Kriyas ever stop. So do you still experience Kriyas after full Kundalini awakening? Do you hear the constant high-pitched sound that some people report hearing after full awakening? Okay, so do I still experience Kriyas after full Kundalini awakening? Yes, yes, I still experience Kriyas. Uh, for me, they are, generally speaking, isolated, not um, any impedance for my regular life in the way that some people have very challenging Kriyas that kind of happen when they're, you know, at a restaurant or something. They're very um, subtle, very subtle jolts and jerks. Um, if I do have Kriyas, they may arise in meditation. I was recently on meditation retreat and it was Kriyas nonstop. As soon as the retreat ended, the Kriyas stopped as well. So um, it's very isolated, very, I guess you could say, uh, compartmentalized to uh, specific times on my journey. Um, 
So I, I, I thought they were generally speaking quite finished with me, but then when I went on retreat, they started again and I went through even more uh, transformations and uh, I guess you could say upgrades or whatever. Um, so that's how it is for me. For those that are struggling with Kriyas, because they're happening nonstop and very awkward times, I do like to share, you know, eventually it, it, it will come to a point where it's not happening in public, but the idea of it ever ending um, I don't think you should hope for that. I think what you can hope for is that they become more subtle, more um, they happen at more appropriate times during spiritual practice. But so the idea of it ever stopping, be a little bit uh, loose with with that idea. I think they can come and go as needed. Do I hear the constant high pitched sound? Um, I have some mild tinnitus, so I can't really say. My tinnitus started after going to a concert, like earlier this year or last year. So um, I can't say for sure. I've heard some ringing and popping in my ears and whatnot. And I've had some of that phenomena that people report um, with Kundalini. But um, the idea that, so I've, I've, I've heard some people say that after you have a full Kundalini awakening, you will hear the high pitch ringing. You will hear this. You will experience that. That's how you know it's full. That's how you know it's complete. No, there's nothing absolute, nothing set in stone. Some people hear the high-pitched noise. Some people don't. Some people have Kriyas. Some people don't. It's all very individualized, very individualized. I don't know why, but some people like authors and whatnot have their own experience and use that as a measure for what others need to have experienced in order to determine the degree of their awakening. And I don't think that's right at all. So you may hear that some people say these things, but some people don't have it. But um, yeah, it's a very individualized process. In this segment, we'll be discussing Kundalini Kriyas and comparing them to trauma release exercises, TRE for short. So before this Kundalini awakening happened, uh, I did 30 years of trauma uh, therapy and healing and also Qigong, so, uh, which would bring up everything. And I learned, uh, and, and you know, I, I made a lot of progress, but it wasn't until I found the work that you mentioned, which is called Trauma Releasing Exercise, TRE, which involves shaking, and it's what the animals do too, uh, by David Berselli. So, uh, it's not anything that someone invented. It's a, a natural reaction of mammals, you know, to uh, release trauma. But it wasn't until I found that and, um, you know, integrated it into my practice that I, or, you know, my healing, that I, you know, my healing took off because it, it, it wasn't integrating into the body. And I've been thinking, you know, everybody's talking about these Kriyas, Kriyas. I haven't had any Kriyas. It's because I already did the Kriyas <laughs> because I did so much of this uh, shaking. Um, but uh, anyway, just any thoughts you might have about that? Because uh, that kind of answered a question. I have a nagging question that I, is this the same thing? If yeah. you think it's the same, I don't know. Yeah, I think generally speaking, that is it is the same process um, in the same way that we can engage something like pranayama, right? We can sit and say, I'm going to do pranayama, but also that can happen spontaneously to us as well. 
the same way the Kriyas can be performed through, say, a practice like TRE, like you mentioned, um, they can also happen spontaneously. Um, one thing I would say, you don't perform it when you do it, you allow it to happen. Right, right. So, so you create context for it to, to allow yeah. it to happen. It's a natural function of the body. I think the body's inclination yes. is to release it. Right. Um, so yeah, these are Kriyas. I would say, um, still remain open to the possibility of spontaneous Kriyas happening to you just to be open. Um, because if you tell yourself I did it already, then when your body or the Kundalini wants to move through you, there may be a subtle psychological block to it happening spontaneously because you you've told yourself you did it already the same way with me i thought this was the kriyas were done but then when i went on retreat they started happening like crazy and i just said okay whatever it's just gonna happen let it happen i enjoyed it actually i, I love this stuff but um that's one thing i would say is be open to it and also keep in mind that kriyas don't just serve to release uh trauma tension stress etc they also serve to activate energetic pathways in the body uh, to draw energy and prana to certain areas. So that may not be accomplished through a modality like TRE, for example. TRE may be focused more on the, the, the release of trauma, but there's space that opens up, which then energy can flow into, uh, into different parts of the chakras, activate different parts of the body, different you know abilities and whatnot can come online as a result of Kriyas as well. So that's something to keep in mind. They're twofold. It's not just for stress release. It's also for... Um, facilitating our evolution and evolution isn't just about healing and returning to a baseline evolution is about healing and returning not returning but evolution is about healing and going to a new level where we have you know never really tapped into yet uh so that's one thing you can keep in mind but this is a great question thank you thank you for sharing thank you In this segment, we'll be discussing Kundalini awakening and receiving messages in dreams. So I, I know a uh, fellow's mic is a little uh, unclear, but I was listening very closely. So um, I'll try and reiterate what you shared. So you had a dream and in this dream, there was a healer and they offered some healing. And um, then you asked how long would this process take or this, this phase of your journey, I guess. And they said in three months to reach enlightenment. And so you're asking, you know, how do you discern between, uh, you know, just an, a regular ordinary dream or something really meaningful, like a sort of mystical experience? Am I right? You can just nod. Am I on track, fella? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So this is very interesting. <clears throat> it is true that during this process, one of the most clear signs that you're going through something pretty far out is that your dreams take on a whole different quality at times. Um, and it's not something that's talked about too much, actually, but I, I like to say that this is a 24-7 process and that at night it does not stop, it continues. Uh, you may find yourself shaking at night, waking up in cold sweats, but you also may find yourself having pretty interesting dreams where you're having uh, very clear spiritual motifs, spiritual themes, visitations by deities, visitations by healers, visitations by animals symbology you know maybe there's egyptian symbology or, or hindu symbology or christian symbology and you may have no correlation or relation uh, with any of these you know pantheons or paradigms so these interesting things can come in the dreams of course the dreams are a place where there's uh you know anything, anything goes there's no limitations and so uh, it's a great landscape for very interesting things to happen but yes we can sometimes be given very specific messaging 
down to how long certain things will take, or maybe we're given a specific date or a specific word or name or something. And it can sometimes drive us crazy. You know, was I just making this up? Was it in a, just, you know, just a dream? Just do I take it seriously? Do I not? Do I become attached to this? So in your case, fellow, do I become attached to this three month period? What if the, by the three months is over and I'm in a very difficult position? Do I, you know, do I doubt myself? Was the dream meaningless? It, it can cause a lot of, of distress. It's almost like, you know, you're being, um, you know, you feel like you're going crazy. In some respects, you could say, you know, maybe you're like, you know, you're gaslighting yourself, um, spiritual bypassing. So it's important that we take everything anybody says to us, including what comes in the dream, in a book, whatever it is, with a grain of salt, with open-minded skepticism. And so in the higher perspective, we always have to remember that we don't receive accurate information at all times. We receive the message that we need in the moment at all times. So maybe just to keep you going, to keep you in the game and from get, not giving up, you're told three months and you think, yeah, I could hang on for three months and that keeps you going. And then three months comes and goes and maybe you're still going through something difficult, but the message you received in the dream was what it took to get you to keep going. Maybe it's like that. I had uh, a conversation with someone else who was given a very specific date for when they would quote unquote, transition. So they interpreted this to mean, maybe I'm going to die. Maybe I'm going to transition and die at this period because this message came with a specific date in a very clear mystical vision. So they prepared their will. They you know got their affairs in order and they were ready quite literally to pass away, to die. Well, that date came and something did happen, but they didn't die, but they went through a very specific uh, spiritual transformation, a spiritual awakening, a sort of mystical death and rebirth process. And then it all made sense to them. So we are told very interesting things. We can't take it all at face value. You have to understand that some of this comes uh, like poetry. Some of this comes um, in sort of roundabout ways just to keep us going on our journey. So I do hope that in three months that you become enlightened. I hope in in you know three hours you become enlightened. I, I, I really do. But I would say don't become attached to any one particular thing. Just keep going on your journey because, hey, like they say, after enlightenment, you do the same things that you were doing before enlightenment. You still have to take care of your body. You still have to take care of your responsibilities, chop wood, carry water, still have to practice, still have to meditate, still have to do all of those things. So the game doesn't really end. So you can keep that in mind. But yes, these interesting things can come and go in dreams. Um, just for the record here, it's important. Maybe, for example, you know, we don't tell people, hey, in three months, I'm going to be enlightened because then three months can come and go. And then we have egg on our face, right? When, you know... <laughs> <laughs> nothing really happened. So like that, these things can happen. Discernment is key. Um, remember that we are given the message that we need at the time. That's all it really means. It's what we need to hear at the time. So I hope that helps and I hope that speaks to others that are having similar types of experiences.